Welcome to another edition of the Quick 2 Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Shanley. With us today, we're going to jump over to the women's basketball side and talk to a, uh, a young head coach at the Division II level, Colin Lanham, head coach of the Maryville University uh, women's basketball program outside of St. Louis, joins us today. So, Colin, welcome aboard. Jeff, I appreciate you. Like, uh, love what you guys are, are doing here with the podcast and, and appreciate the opportunity to be here. So, Colin, you were a three-year men's basketball assistant at the University of Indianapolis, Division II school, went over, became a men's basketball assistant uh, at Maryville University for three years, but now you're entering your fifth year as the head women's coach here. So I think the first question, moving from the men's side to the women's side, I guess the first one is why make the move? Was it just the opportunity to become a head coach? Yeah, initially that's what it was. Um, we had a, a coaching change occur late, um, late, late in the summer. So it was, it was actually horrible timing for everybody concerned um, when it went on. So I took the job where I was offered the position late August, um, got, got married actually Labor Day weekend. Uh, so just literally a couple weeks later. And um, it was one of those things where I, I loved the university. I liked what it was about uh, and an opportunity for me to be able to, to grow, um, you know, from a coaching standpoint, I felt like I was prepared to take that next step. And of course, being being naive uh, and not knowing as much about the women's game, I was just like, yeah, it's basketball, right? A little bit slower, playing below the rim. Um, it, it, it's, it's basketball. You know, it can't be that hard. And uh, so jumped on it, uh, you know, talked to my wife, and, and it was a great opportunity, a great chance for us to stay. You know, we really love the Maryville community. Uh, and as you know, uh, assistant coaches, um, you know, at this level, you're always trying to, to find that next move and the next way to, uh, to advance your career. And so, you know, for us, this was that next move, um, you know, really went into it with no expectations, no uh, goals besides just, hey, let, let's be where our feet are. Let, let's go all in on this thing and, and see where it goes. What are some of the changes you noticed right away? You, you kind of mentioned this a little bit, but from the men's side to the women's side, I guess what changes are did you notice in not only the players but just the game in general as it's played? I mean, it's almost two different sports, um, you know, and that was that was probably the hardest thing for me. And you could talk to my first team there where we had a lot of growing pains that first year. You know, what my expectations were. Uh, of college level athletes uh, compared to what it actually was. And I think it took me that time to understand the culture of women's basketball, where these, these young women were coming from, uh, what, uh, you know, what their youth level basketball was like, what their high school and club level basketball was like in terms of, you know, just kind of how it operated. And, you know, one of the big differences that I've noticed is there's a lot less uh, just playing on the women's side as, as compared to the guys, you know, when we were growing up and obviously it's different now than it was back then, but you know, we're playing a couple times a week at least, um, you know, when we're doing our preseason workouts, we're spending 30 minutes of individual skill and then we're playing open gym. And, you know, for us, uh, undersized, less athletic players, 
we had to figure some things out if we wanted to stay on the court, especially when you're younger and you're undersized and you're not as, as big as some of the other guys. you got to get a little creative to stay on the floor and compete. And what we noticed was that a lot of the girls would come in and maybe not have uh, some of that knowledge. They knew what to do. They listened to their coaches. They were extremely coachable. Um, you know, you ask them to set a screen here, they're going to do it. But, you know, they were more following the rules than they were um, – you know, playing the game, if that makes sense. And so, you know, we've tried to spend a lot of time working on that. And I think that was probably the biggest difference was, uh, you know, I brought an offense in that, that we ran at, at Southern Illinois with, with Chris Lowry. And it was a great four round one offense that you could create out of. Uh, if you had a post player that would work their, their tails off, it was good. We used it at university of Indianapolis as well. And it was good for us. Um, so I was like, yeah, this, this is an easy one to, to try to transitioning and, it's simple. Uh, it'll give our, our players, and we had some really good offensive creators, it gives them the chance to break out of the offense and do their thing. Well, our girls didn't want to break out. That wasn't comfortable for them. They were more rule followers and, and doing what they needed to do. So um, once we got them kind of out of that that blueprint and, and have what we've really worked on the past four years is, is teaching the girls how to play without without having to follow rules being able to break out of the offense and just go create and get a basket when they have the opportunity. Is there any difference for what you can do offensively and I guess defensively from the men's side to the women's side or do the same type of principles kind of hold? Yeah, it, it's very similar. Uh, I know at, at least here at Maryville, you know, we'll sit and talk X's and O's with our men's staff all the time and, and we'll steal some things from each other. Uh, I think that just the big difference is the pacing of it, maybe some passes and things like that, that, you know, guys can get away with that we can't, you know, obviously we're not running a ball screen and going to throw a lob over the top, um, you know, to get a, a backside dunk, but, you know, we might be able to play to some other strengths and some, some other movements um, that maybe what we try to do a lot of is put teams in a disadvantage situation. So, you know, we're trying to get as many two-on-one, three-on-twos and, and forcing the defense to make decisions where, you know, maybe the guys are a little bit more athletic and they can cover a little bit more ground. I feel like we can uh, we can force the defense to make a decision here or there. So that's why I think it's been so important for us, for our, our players, just to get out and play as much as possible. Has your coaching style changed? I know, be, you know, going from an assistant to a head coach is going to be a change in itself, but from coaching guys to coaching on the women's side, has your style kind of changed in how you approach coaching? I don't think I don't think it has in terms of expectations. Um, you know, I felt like as an assistant, I was a really good scouter. Um, I was able to put a, a really good scouting report together, player personnel, uh, what the other team was going to do. Uh, I took a lot of pride in that, and I think that's something that we also take advantage of um, with this team. I would say I have had to change personally um, through this process, which, I mean, you know, getting married is going to change a lot of, of how you act. But, you know, when you go from being around 15, 16 college males to 15, 16 college females, what you have to pay attention to is a little bit different. Um, and I'm not saying that that's a positive or a negative. It's just, it, it just is what it is. And so, you know, I had to, I had to learn a lot, um, you know, about what my players need from me. And, 
that was probably the biggest change for me. And, and even over the four years, you know, we've got some kids on the team now that were freshmen my first year. Um, and, you know, talking to them and joking around about, you know, what things looked like my first year compared to where they are now. I think our basketball has stayed the same, but I think our methods have changed. And I think some things that maybe weren't as important to me on day one are much more important to me now. And I think we've, we've seen a lot of progress just kind of through the realization of, hey, first year head coach, I think I know everything. And, and the reality is I, I knew so, so little. And I still, I still have a long ways to go. So um, just kind of constantly evolving um, has, has been the biggest thing for us. I think one of the biggest things, and, and you've seen some people who've moved from the men's side to the women's side, I think one of the biggest things is is recruiting and doing that. And so I'll ask you, what are some of the differences you see in the recruiting of guys versus the recruiting of girls? And we talked a little bit about this kind of before we got started here, but what are some of the biggest differences you see in how you, how you evaluate, how you recruit them, and kind of the different thought processes between guys and girls with recruiting? Yeah, I think I think recruiting at the heart and soul of it is still the same. I think the difference between, um, you know, the, the men's and women's side, it, the biggest is the calendar uh, of kind of what or, or when these young women are, are making their commitments or making decisions. You know, a, a lot of them are physically maturing earlier in the process, and so you kind of know what you're going to get from them from a physical standpoint as freshmen and sophomores in high school where, you know, I remember when, when I was on the men's side and, and we're recruiting Nike Sabande and, you know, just it, a very undersized player. And now he's killing it at Miami of Ohio and he blew up, you know, as a senior and going into his freshman year and just kind of that physical evolution that he had. So that the physical side of it is is very different. So you know we're able to probably evaluate a lot earlier in the process. I think I think end goals for for our recruits are also very different than it is on the men's side. You've got a lot more guys that um, professional careers are in basketball or something that's front of mind. Um, we still have quite a few. I mean, I've had a, a number of players come through our program that have had opportunities, but have turned them down because they're ready to move on to whatever their next professional goals are, whether it's being, you know, I had this past season, we had a, a, a player who was arguably one of the best guards that we've had come through and, and, you know, she's got some opportunities to play overseas and not sure that she wants to take them. You know, she may be ready to go ahead and, and start her nursing career. So, um, you know, that's a big difference, too. And with that being said, I think we can recruit a higher level player because of what we can give them off the floor. Um, you know, our institution does a great job in providing resources for personal, professional academic development. Um, and so some, sometimes with, with these players, you know, they're most of the girls that we have on our team at some point either had Division One interest offers or, or at least communication along the line but chose to come to Maryville for whatever other reason it might be. And so I think it's a little bit easier to get in with some kids that you go watch them play. And you're like, man, there's no way we have a shot at, at this at this recruit. And then you get to talking to them, and level isn't as important um, where, you know, you know how it is. Uh, with some guys, 
that kid has no chance of sniffing a Division One floor. You know, he's barely playing very much for his high school team, and he's holding out and, and missing out on some good opportunities at, at smaller schools. We don't fight that as much, and so that that makes it makes recruiting a lot more fun. You don't get big timed as much, um, and and when kids do feel that they want to play at a higher level, we've been turned down a number of times, and it's been it's been a fine conversation. Hey. We're a Division Two. We're in a great league where you're going to be playing against Division One caliber uh, opponents, but we're not Division One. It's not going to change anytime soon. So if that's what you're looking for, we can't provide that. But we can provide a lot of other positives that are going to help you pay the bills when the ball stops bouncing. How different was you? Was it for you in having to build new contacts in recruiting on the women's side? You know the the grassroots side on the, on the women's uh, versus the men's new scouting services, new, new area scouts, new high school coaches. How much of an adjustment was that for you having to basically start over? It was tough. It it really was. And that's why we brought one high school player in, in my first recruiting class. Uh, We were fortunate enough to, to bring in a couple transfers that we had relationships with with different people that first year. So that part was nice. I think the big thing was slowing down and thinking about contacts that I had on the men's side that had connections on the women's side. So, for example, you know, J.R. Shelt was somebody that I dealt with a ton at Lawrence Central High School in Indianapolis, um, and he's got two daughters that, that are Khalid, that are, one just finished her career at, at Kentucky Wesleyan, and he's got another coming up that, that's going to play some college ball too. And so just, hey, JR, who can I talk to? Well, it turns out he started, when he, when he quit coaching high school ball, he started coaching club ball on the, on the girls' side. So now there's a way to get in with, with uh, the Lady Gym Rats program in Indianapolis and just trying to reach out to different people. You know, we recruited Johnny Marlin a little bit out of high school before he went to IPFW. His father, Tony, uh, is a great coach within the Indiana Elite on the women's side. So just kind of making those little connections were, were the foot in the door. Um, but beyond that, I think the hardest thing was just getting out and trying to figure out how to evaluate. And you know, I remember the, the first kid I noticed when I went out in the spring my first year and you know trying to watch all the local teams and, and build some contacts. And, and I knew a guy here in town that, that runs a, a league. And I said, hey, Tell me about tell me about Kate Martin over at Edwardsville. You know, you think we can get in with her? I know it's a little bit late. He's like, Coach, you know, I think you, I think you got a shot. Let me let me give her a call. He said, I know she just narrowed her list down to, to Iowa and Nebraska and a couple other Big Ten schools, but I'll I'll try to get I'll try to get you in the door. So, um, so my first my first call as a coach on a recruit, I, I picked out the high major kid pretty quick. So just kind of figuring those things out. You know what. What is what does the Division two college basketball player look like? Where do they go? Um, and really, as you know, just kind of just being a good person and getting out and talking to other coaches. And you know, I, I, the one thing I, I really enjoyed on the women's side, and not to say that it wasn't like that on the on the men's, but there's just a lot more um, personal conversations. There's a lot more, um, hey, like legitimately, how is your wife? How is your family? You've got some parents that that will have their children with them out on the road recruiting, and it's just it's a lot less cutthroat. You know, you're not trying to hide information, and so you know, I sat next to a couple people, built some relationships, 
and then they shared their information with me. Hey, this is somebody you need to reach out to. This is this is who I deal with within this program. Hey, go take a look at these kids. Tell this guy. Tell this girl. This coach. I I told you to reach out to him. Type of thing. So, um, you know, I feel like even though I've been doing this for four years, we've been able to hit our ground running. Um, and, and and the most important piece was hiring assistants that knew what they were doing. Uh, my first assistant was a former Division three head coach in Ohio. And so recruiting at this level was different, but she still knew enough people. She had been a coach before. So the basketball piece was easy. It was just the learning curve of, of recruiting and, and you know, taking the things that I had learned on the men's side and trying to apply them and just go back to like it was my first days at UND, just cold calling people and building relationships and trying to figure out who you can trust and who you can't. That was going to be the next thing I asked you was how much of getting being able to hit the ground running in recruiting was a factor when you picked your assistants, your staff. How much did that come into play? It's it's major. Um, you know, and especially at the time where where we're growing our program, we're trying to figure out you know the culture of our program. You know, defining what that is, finding these young women that that have the the that want to be a part of that same thing, that have the similar values. Um, so, you know, what I what's been great, all the assistants I've had since I've been here have been phenomenal in terms of building relationships with our players, with our recruits, with our families. So that was the easy part. We could figure out who we wanted to be a part of our family. And, you know, I had to take a, I had to trust people to recommend others because obviously nobody on the women's side had I worked with before, but there were some people that I know that I know and have good relationships with that would recommend these assistants for me. And so trusting them, it led me to trust the next person down the line so then I knew, hey, if this is what we're trying to recruit as a person, great. Let's do that. Worst case scenario, we don't get the most talented kid on the floor, but we have somebody that's going to buy into to what we want to do. Even if we're rowing the boat in the wrong direction, we're all going to be going the same way, and we're going to get to where we're going eventually. And that, I think, is what's helped get us to where we are. So now we're, we're recruiting some kids that are probably from a talent level over our head but they like what we've created. Um, they're excited to be a part of it. And again, that level and the wow factor of some things at higher levels aren't as important to them because we've cared about the smaller things off the floor. Which recruiting ties into uh, the next topic I want to ask you about, and that's uh, your All-American that you had uh, last year and for the last you know four years, Mary Burton, a uh, uh, high-scoring guard that you that you've had and you've been around you know players on the men's side who have been and really good especially at you know southern illinois and u indy and and even at maryville too but i want to ask you a little bit about her and and kind of what made her so dominant because she was top 10 in the nation in scoring Uh, i think finished second career scoring at maryville first in assists you know one of the best players to ever step foot through that that program there yeah, so Mary, I was fortunate to inherit. Um, she transferred in the year before I took the position over, and she only played three and a half years for us. So she she didn't get to actually start competing with us until the semester break, her her redshirt uh, redshirt freshman year, excuse me. 
And the one thing that impressed me, and I knew this about her from day one when she transferred in and I was still a men's assistant, that that girl was in the gym every day. Um, and, and what we talk a lot about is if you work hard enough, like reward yourself for it, you're going to get something positive out of it. Now, it takes a combination of talent and hard work to be as successful as she is, but she never... Um, you know, she never expected anything. She never, you know, was the type that was just like, okay, I'm in here all the time. I should be getting this. I should be getting that. Um, you know, she kind of had to evolve her game and work at it. And she's just a special player. Like she understood the game. Uh, her dad was her club coach. Um, when, when she was in high school, I had a, a phenomenal high school coach at St. Joe's Academy here in St. Louis. And, you know, brother also played collegiately division one level and, and actually finished his career at Maryville. Um, so just kind of that competitive uh, nature of, of who she is and who her family is, I think played a part. Her dad is, is an extremely hard worker and uh, in, in the business world. And so she translated that to the basketball side of things. And I mean, it was so bad that or she was in the gym so much that during her junior year, she developed stress fractures in her feet just from the constant pounding of jumping and shooting that we had to cut her down to where she was only allowed to, like we had to restrict her on how many extra days she could get in the gym to shoot. We had to restrict her on how many reps she was allowed to get when she would go want to go get in the gym and, and get some extra shots up. So, you know, I think her work ethic was the biggest thing that, that put her above the rest of them. Um, you know, she's, texting me at, at midnight after a game, hey, coach, did you see this? What did you think of that piece? Um, and so we would we would talk hoops all the time, and she was a student of the game. Um, you know, she wanted to be the best. And so, you know, in a very competitive conference, uh, arguably she was the best guard for, for a couple of years, and, and, you know, she wanted to prove that to people. You know, even though we, we may not have finished on top as a team, um, you know, she was going to do everything she could to will us to some wins and, and really try to develop the younger players coming up as well. How do you go about kind of scheming ways to get someone like her, her opportunities and her openings? Because if you're averaging almost 25 points a game, everybody knows that you're going to be the one to get the ball, take the shot, make the play. So how do you kind of work around some of that to get her openings um, just to have give her some easier looks well let, let's let's not pretend we're not smart enough to know that players make plays so we like, we would try to put her in position but at the same time the girl could get it done I mean she would hit some shots that I, I know some coaching friends of, of mine that even during a game she'd hit a shot we both just kind of look at each other and, you know the Jordan shrug like I don't know, man. She's just good. But for us and, and kind of what what I feel like helped us, so between my first and second year, I knew we were going to have Mary back. I knew she was going to be really good. She was, uh, you know, on the first team, first all-freshman all team her freshman year and then ended up being a second-team all-conference sophomore year and then was first-team all-conference unanimous or junior and senior year. So it's okay. We've got this kid that's really, really good. How do we help her? How do we, you know, maybe take some pressure off of her, but also how do we keep the ball in her hands? And so the more and more I was watching film that summer, 
I would start to watch a little bit more NBA basketball as well. And my theory, whether it's right or wrong, I'm still not sure, but I feel like the defensive rules in the NBA are similar to some of the, uh, or keep them from doing some of the things that our level defenders aren't capable of doing. So I'm like, okay, who who is she comparable to? What's a team that, that has a point guard that's a high-level scorer, that's an efficient scorer? Because Mary shot, um, I mean, her freshman year, she shot 50% from the three-point line. I think she, she finished high 30s, low 40s. Um, for her career from three, which is really, really efficient for the quantity of shots she put up at our level. So, you know, my first thought was Damian Lillard, um, arguably the best point guard, and especially from a scoring standpoint, but not not somebody that has to dribble the air out of the ball to get a shot. And so we've run a lot of pistol actions over the past few years, and we try to get up and go as much as possible um, with all of our guards. So if any of our guards get a defensive rebound or an outlet, we run kind of a three guard and we call them our wings and posts. Um, but we don't really run like a one, two, three, four, five system. So for us, we've got to know a lot of what each other are doing. And within that pistol system, there's so many different wrinkles that you can do. And so we just spent a lot of time trying to teach them, okay, here's what options, you know, A through D gee, whatever it may be, are, here's why you're going to do what you're going to do to read the defense. And so it was giving her the opportunity to get the ball back in her hands. Or maybe if she wasn't in it, you know, she was running the opposite wing, we'd get a ball screen situation early in our offense that would maybe force her defender to either help off of her or to hug longer that maybe would give somebody else the opportunity. So you know, I think her junior year, she probably only averaged 14 or 15 points a game. So for her to jump that up almost 10 points uh, into her senior year was not what we expected to happen, but she was just so damn good. Like, you couldn't do anything about it. You know, she was she was getting high-volume shots, but she was also shooting at a high percentage. So um, just trying to put her in position, watched a lot of film with her. Um, you know, we kind of changed a lot about how she handled ball screens. Um, she's not the quickest guard that's out there. Um, first, second step, not. I mean, she was nowhere near uh, the same pace as some of the players that were defending her. But she got smart enough where she knew how to run defenders off screens. She knew how to create some separation um, to give herself some angles. And then it was just a matter of confidence. Um, you know, she was. There were times where she'd be concerned with getting her shot blocked or didn't think she could get it off, and it was just, hey. Figure out what those limits are. Figure out you know how far you can go. Go get your shot blocked a couple times so you can learn if you need to take an extra dribble or if you need to give it up because it's not a good opportunity. So when you have somebody that's scoring at that level and the number of assists with an extremely high assist-to-turnover ratio, I mean, she's just a, it's a special player, and I'd, I'd love to take credit for it, but I feel like they have the credit stops with just putting her in a position to make a decision and, and trying to teach her what those decisions were going to look like and then say, hey, Mary, here's the keys of the car. Go to work. Defensively against her, did you guys see a lot of, you know, junk coverages and things like that? And, and you know, if so, how do you go about trying to keep her from getting getting flustered when it comes to that? That was, that was work. That part was work, the mental side of it keeping her calm and, and cool and collected. And I think 
the days where she felt like she didn't have to bear the weight of our team on her shoulders were the days where she was at ease. Um, you know, she's crafty. And, you know, she, so she's probably not, not going to be as quick as some of the, the players that are guarding her. But she knew how to position herself to get herself open. So if we could get her the ball in the backcourt, we were usually in pretty good shape. Um, and we had some different things that we could run to try to get her just a little bit of space. But then we, we really had to rely on our other players a lot. And I feel like that's one thing we've done well is put expectations on everybody on the floor to be productive. Um, you know, the thing that I've had to pound and pound in their head is we don't run an offense to run an offense to get a specific shot. We run an, we, we run offense to get a basket, right? So if you have an opportunity, whether you're the first option, the fifth option, whether you're breaking off before you even get to the first option because you have a good scoring opportunity, take advantage of that. So we spent a lot of time showing and teaching what high percentage shots look like where where our different players can get theirs. And so once we were able to get the other players' confidence up and, and in positions where where they were ready to step in and, and make plays, they were good. But our league is very, very well coached. Um, you can't hide a Mary Barton, so it's not like she's somebody that, that's not at the top of every team's scouting report. So, you know, I think for us it was just trying to figure out, okay, this is what they did last year. Let's see how they're going to change. Were we successful or were they – and so we'd have to put some tweaks into a lot of the things that we would do. Um, you know, maybe it's the entry into our offense, or maybe it's running Mary at a different place and running some false action to get into the next piece. Um, you know, maybe running her off a stagger or a screen to get her into a dribble handoff or to get her into a ball screen opportunity, uh, maybe a little bit later in the, in the possession. How do you get the other players on your team to accept the freedom that you give her because obviously if somebody's going to score 25 points a game they're going to have to you know put up some shots to do it and and like you said maybe explore taking some bad shots to kind of figure out what she can and can't do so how do you get the other players to accept the freedom that you give her and then I guess while still putting expectations on them that hey you're not going to have this freedom, but we still expect you to be productive and do what's necessary and, and give them freedom for themselves. I think that's, I think that's it is giving them the same freedoms. You know, we didn't treat Mary differently as our, our top score than we did our 13th score. Um, what we, what we really talked about and maybe without addressing it that directly was, you know who you are. Right? You know what your talent is. You know what your skill set is. If you're a, a 10% three-point shooter, don't take three-pointers when it matters. Don't. That's not a good – it's not a high-percentage shot. Um, where are you more productive and what is your role? And I think that's, that's probably been one of the toughest things for me. I, I know a lot of players now want to know what their role is, but I hate handcuffing them to, okay, this is what you have to do. You're just a rebounder. You're just a defender. Um, one, I think it makes you really easy to scout when, when that's the case. But two, you don't want to hamper their creativity because I feel like that's been done with a lot of these young ladies. It's been done their entire career. You know, They're told to run this play and do this thing so that the best player can get the shot 90% of the time. So for us, it was, it was everybody 
needed to be able to step into their position. We had a freshman last year out of Nebraska, and I would pull her out of games because she wouldn't take high percentage shots. She would rather give it up to somebody else or maybe thought, you know, this isn't as good of a shot as I thought it was. And, you know, she's a, a mid 30% three-point shooter, and she'd be standing by herself on the three-point line and wouldn't take a shot. And I was like, I, I understand what you're trying to do. You're trying to get the ball back to Mary, but you're hurting our team by by you not doing what you can do. And so I think putting those expectations, giving everybody kind of the same set of rules. Now, can Mary have a heat check shot more often than somebody else? Yeah, but she also was probably three for her last four or four for her last five, so she's, she's warranted that. But I'm also not going to pull – pull a player because she takes a bad shot. I mean, it, it's we're trying to teach them how to play right now. I'm not a micromanager. I, I hate running too many sets. I would much rather just let them play and then let me teach them along the way than saying, okay, here's our scripted out first 15 sets. It, it, that's just not my style. And I think the players understood that as well. So, you know, even though Mary is getting a, a high percentage of shots or, or maybe a higher quantity of shots, um, we're not restricting anybody else. And if it's somebody else's night and Mary's a facilitator, that's great. Who is who is helping us win? That And that's, that's the biggest thing in what we've spent time talking and we're still working on. Um, I, I think I know the players understand and believe me when I say that, but you know, every year is a clean slate. I'm playing the five players or I'm playing the lineups that are going to help us be successful at that moment, in that game, uh, at that time. And so sometimes it was Mary. Now, she was so good at, at other things that you she was going to be on the floor. I mean, her turnovers were ridiculously low. And so even if she wasn't maybe having a great shooting night or um, you know she wasn't getting the free throw line as much, she was still probably facilitating somebody else getting an opportunity, or she was at least drawing some extra defensive coverage that would open some things up for other players. So I think once once they're able to figure out how to play together, you know, and, and for Mary it was, hey, you know, sometimes you're a decoy. You know, sometimes we're going to run an action because we know they're not going to help, but we've got a couple other players that are pretty damn good too that we can get them some high percentage looks. And so once everybody kind of bought into that team over uh, one person's accolades, you know, it, it was easy to do that because it wasn't an issue. We didn't have to have that conversation. They didn't care. And then she's graduated. So how much of what you do now is going to change uh, this coming year without having, you know, the 25 points and, you know, a handful of assists to, to kind of count on? Uh, not very much. Um I'll, well, a little bit. We're going to be a little bit more post-dominant than we have been in the past. We've got three or four girls that, that can play and be productive in the paint right now. So we'll we'll change up that a little bit. But I feel like what we've done has, has given the rest of our guards and wings some opportunities. Um, and so like I said before, we don't – it's not like we're just replacing one person. It's we're teaching the new kids what our system is. So we're running a lot more motion. We're running that pistol break. We're running a lot of secondary – and we're trying to get up and go as quick as we can. So we're not getting it to one person every time so that she can run our break. If our post player, if I trust them to handle the ball for a couple of dribbles off of a defensive rebound, she will initiate our break, kick it ahead, and then we're off to the races. So what I think is going to be difficult is 
who is ready to step up and take the lead when we need something? Who's ready to be that leader? Uh, you know, last year when we needed a bucket, we knew Mary could create. We knew that we could put her, you know, we would come into a timeout. Hey, Mary, what are you feeling? Oh, I want a ball screen going right. Perfect. We'll line something up. We'll put a shooter next to her so that if they double off the ball screen, we can drive and kick and get another clean look. So who's going to want their ball, the ball in their hands at that point? Who's who's going to be ready to step up and lead us in, in tough times when we need a bucket? So I don't think it's going to be the 25 points. I think it's going to be the five or six in the, the last three or four minutes of a game. Who, who wants those buckets? And then you've been, as we said, at UND and Maryville. You've been in the GLVC now for, for over a decade. I just want to talk to you because – you know, I've been a former GLVC assistant a while back and still keep my eye on it. There's been a lot of changes I've seen. So I just want you to talk about the GLVC as a whole. What are some of the changes you've noticed in the league in the last 10, 10 11 years since you've been in it? Man, you know how, you know how to make me feel old. I, I knew it's been that long, but geez. Um, so I think the league is still as good as it's ever been across the board and, and it's just evolving and changing. So I don't think, um, you know, back in the day when, when you were at St. Joe's and I was at UND, I mean, we were getting, you know, four to five teams in the national tournament every year. It was between two conferences at that point in time. So for us to get five teams, maybe even six on, on some good years, wasn't crazy for the national tournament. Um, you know, adding the, the GMAC in has, has expanded that, but expectations within the conference are still there. I think on the women's side last year, uh, before the tournament got canceled, we had four teams that had qualified uh, with the fifth team just being right outside the limit where, you know, there were some other teams in our region that maybe had better win-loss records that didn't make it into the national tournament. So I think that level of respect is still there. I think it's been great because our area, especially within the Midwest, is very aware of, of the caliber of athletics that the GLVC has. And I'm talking from golf to swimming to basketball to football. I mean, we've got teams that are in the top 25 in every sport. Um, you know, the the Division II President's Cup, which is like a national competition. You know, we have GLVC teams in the top five and ten of that year in, year out. So it just kind of shows the the consistency across the board for the conference, but um, it's been interesting to see how many people across the board, whether it be coaches or players that are turning down or leaving higher level opportunities to be a part of the GOVC because they know, um, you know, although it doesn't have that, that division one title or, or maybe doesn't have all the bells and whistles that it, that a, a higher level program has, it's just as good from the athletic standpoint. The academics are are unbelievable. That life that life balance between <clears throat> athletics and academics is as good as it gets uh, with some of the the rules within our calendar. Um, it's just it, you can breathe and you can still work your butt off and and have to fight every single night you're, you're competing. What are some of the pluses that, that you see, not only in the GLVC, but in Division Two about how basketball is done at that level? Because I think the general public, you know, looks at Division One and it's 
the kids are there pretty much all year round. Very rarely do they get a break, and they they see what happens at you know the top twenty five programs. But what is life like, I guess, at the Division two level uh, for basketball, and particularly on the women's side, and and how it's laid out, and how you guys get to go about things, you know, three hundred sixty five days a year. It's great. I love it. Um, it just it, it gives you some time to to sit back and think and not feel like you're on the go three sixty five. Um, you know, expectations don't drop off just because we have uh, less time with our within our program. And so, I think it puts a little bit more personal accountability on everybody that's involved. You know, so just because we have our summers quote off um, doesn't mean we're all not working. Whether that's the players in the gym, the coaches out recruiting, the coaches watching film, players watching film. You know, there's still always something that can be done. Uh, but there's I just I feel like with our players, anyways, we've had more success and more gains out of them when we've given them options as opposed to demands, right? So for us, for example, our summer program, uh, we we have a strength and conditioning coach that programs uh, workouts. Whether you have you know like this summer, which was was crazy. So if you have access to a barbell and weights, here's your workout. If you're at home, you know grab a book bag and a gallon jug of water or milk and, and here's your, your strength and conditioning program for the summer. So, you know, we have that form to work with, but from a basketball standpoint, we've already had, excuse me, had a lot of conversations about, okay, where do you want to go? Where do you want to grow? Who do you want to be when this summer's over? Here's what I want from you as a coach. Here's what you want for yourself as a player. Here are the workouts and things that we want you that, that you can work on to get better at those things. And, you know, I, I just feel like, well, you know how it is. When, when you're a, a young kid and somebody tells you what to do, you're probably a little bit more defiant as opposed to doing those things when you want to. You know, like, oh, this is a great day. I want to go mow the yard right now as opposed to mom or dad, you know, being in your ear. Jeff, get out there and mow the yard right now. Um, and so we've we've really grown our culture for our players and, and staff members to want to get better and for themselves, for their teammates, they, they understand the expectations of what the GLVC is. And so, you know, they're putting that expectations on the, those expectations on themselves to, to better themselves. So, you know, I think that's great. I think our break that we have in December is fantastic. It gives everybody a chance to recover a little bit gives everybody a chance to to recharge their batteries you get away from each other for a little bit i mean you know how the league is especially um you know december and then when you get into the heart of it january and february if you don't get that downtime it's a long you know four or five months right there so i think the players being able to go home and see their family um us getting a chance as coaches to see our families as well plus we can get out and recruit a little bit um it's, it's perfect, and I feel like even talking to, to some coaches on the women's side at the Division One level, they're, they're starting to, to decrease the quantity of time that they're having their players on campus in the summers as well. For that reason, the mental health side of it, these kids need a break. And you know that, that's one of the issues I have with, with the club-level uh, basketball for some of these girls that we're recruiting. You know, the month of June – 
definitely an all but like 10 days. And the programs, I think, are doing a great job. They're not forcing them to play every opportunity. Um, are more successful and they're getting more out of their players by doing that. So, you know, I'm a big proponent of less is more. You know, we try to have efficient practices. We don't practice every day just because we can. If we need to take a day off, we'll take a day off. If we need to just, you know, just stretch and watch film one day, we'll do that. Um, it, it's it all depends on where our kids are. Uh, I'm not about working more than, not that I'm afraid to work more than is is necessary, but we're not going to we're not going to be in the gym for four hours just to say we were in the gym for four hours. If we get the work done uh, that we need to in an hour and a half, two hours, we're going to get in. We're going to get get to work and get out. So I, that's that's one of the, the great things I think about Division Two. Well, Colin, I certainly appreciate hearing your perspective. You know, we don't don't get to talk to people on the women's side of things a whole lot, but it's it's nice to hear uh, what that side of basketball is all about. And uh, certainly appreciate you taking the time out to join us today. Oh, thank you, thank you. And that, you know, I think kind of going along with that too is that's that's something we need to continue to do because I know reaching out to former colleagues and and just for us to get a chance to catch up here too. Um, you know, the, the women's side it's a, it's a fantastic product. You know, the WNBA for those of you that that don't have the chance to go watch some games. Um, it, it's good, high quality basketball. It's, uh, it's exciting, but there's a lot to be learned from both sides of the spectrum within this. So I think that's, what's been fun for me is, is learning from my new colleagues on the women's side, still being able to converse with, with people on the men's side and just, you know, share our ideas and, and be fans of each other and, and pumping each other, each other's product up. Well, Colin, thank you again, and uh, best of luck to to you guys. Whatever this whatever this season looks like, uh, wish you guys well. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, man.